Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Metatopia 2018. Episode 227, Playtesting 101, presented by Kate Bullock, Kelvin Ortega, and Jennifer Graham Mack. Hi, morning everybody. Welcome to How to Be a Good Playtester. Uh, my name is Kelvin Ortega. I'll be your moderator for today. And I'm joined in my panel by Kate Bullock. And also by Jennifer Graham Mack. Hello. Uh, Kate, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, um, obviously, my name is Kate Bullock. I'm one of the co-organizers of Breakout Gaming Convention. I recently brought out Crossroads Carnival, which is an RPG. And I do podcasting and blogging. And in real life, I massage people. Awesome. <laughs> me, me first. Yeah, me first. <laughs> I'm on vacation. Hourly rates? Oh, that's right. No, it's vacation. No. <laughs> I'm uh, Jennifer Graham Mack. I'm the marketing director for Keymaster Games. I also uh, maintain um, and edit for a website called Play Satellite. Before that, I owned a board game shop and I do some design on the side. It's cool. Uh, I am the uh, creative director for Absolute Zero Games. Uh, we run a LARP called Aurum that you can check out at aurumlarp.com. And during the day, I work in the gambling industry with nothing to do with actual real games. <laughs> uh, so today we're going to be talking about some of the things that uh, we have experienced and would like to share with you about how to be better playtesters so that we can push the industry forward bring out the best in whatever games uh, people are uh, trying to put out, and generally how to just make the most of this experience, both for yourself and for the designers who are here to try it out their games. Uh, uh, first, um, each of us is going to expound upon primarily what their uh, field of expertise is. Uh, I'm going to start off with Kate. She does RPG playtesting. That's her area of focus. Um, and. Uh, before we begin that, uh, I just want to share three questions that I tend to ask when I first sit down at a table to every single designer. Uh, the first question that you should ask is, at what stage in development is your game? Because you're going to approach things very differently if it's a very early on alpha stage game or even pre-concept where they're just trying to like think things out with you. Then it's something that is like, uh, this is going to be ready for market next month. We just got to slap art on it and it's good to go. The second question that I like to ask is, is there anything specific that you'd like for us to focus on during this playtest? Because sometimes they're here with a specific goal in mind. There's a certain roadblock that's preventing them from moving the game forward, and that's what you're here to kind of help them through. And the very last question that I ask is, are there any issues that the game has that you are already aware of and are working on and that you'd like us to ignore? Um, sometimes, you know, they don't, they're not looking for that negative feedback. They already know about that negative feedback. They just want your help 
in other areas that they're having trouble with. So by presenting those things to a designer, I found that every single designer that I've asked these three questions to are like, yo, that's great, yeah, yeah, I need this, I need that, and they'll start telling you what they want out of the experience. Um, how do you guys feel about that? Like, Got anything more to add on, on anything in there? Is there any other tips for when you first sit down at the table? Uh, well, I was gonna say that, so sometimes, uh, when you are a designer and when you bring a game to the table, and this I'm board game focused, um, those questions that get asked are a little unclear and or intentionally left obtuse or oblique. And the reason for that is um, there might be this predisposition for if you're coming to a play test, uh, a play test that you must have some kind of prior knowledge. Uh, and I don't think that's really necessary. I don't feel like uh, you should be playing a game because for the same reason that we're all playing a game, whether you're playing it to play test a prototype or you're playing a final game. Um, and you should be confident that you as a player are valuable for feedback uh, right from the beginning. Um, so there, I think there's some argument or maybe debate that we could have about like the opposite side and being a designer proposing, but we're here as to talk about being play testers. Uh, so expectations, you should let the designer explain those to you. And if there aren't any, that doesn't mean that the designer is unprepared. It just means that they know what they're looking for and they don't want you to come to the table with any sort of predisposed idea of what you're supposed to be getting out of the game. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's also important to know that designers are really nervous. Like, they're very, very scared. A lot of times they're suffering from imposter syndrome. So you what, sit, people? I know, oh. right? Uh, so you sit down and you're like, please tell me about your game and what exactly you want me to experience right here, which is good, and I love every one of those questions. And sometimes they're going to be like, oh, shit. I didn't think about that. Uh, so don't think that they don't know what they're doing. It's just that there's, they're a little panic-stricken. Be kind. Be loving. And if you sit down at a table and your designer's like, I don't really know. I'm throwing this at you. I just want to hear about your experience. That's completely valid. And if you sit down at a table and you've signed up for a beta, and it turns out it's an alpha, or it turns out it's a focus group, that's okay. Don't be a jerk about it. Because so many people I know have been like, I thought my game was here, and we sat down to play it, and it turns out it's kind of over here. And someone sat down at them and went, well, I didn't come here to play an unfinished game. Right? Don't do that. Uh, Just don't. That is rough. It's mean. Oh, man. Because uh, <laughs> up until that point, that person actually was doing their job. Because if you show up to a game, the game is supposed to be at beta testing, and you're giving good feedback, you're playing through it, you're discovering things about the game that are helping the designer, then throwing everything out the door and saying, no, no, I'm sorry, I'm here for a much more polished game. Well, at that point, you're a jerk. You're not being a good play tester. You're being a great play tester right up until that point. Because now the designer has an idea. It's like, oh, I've got a lot more work to do. I've got these things that I didn't consider. I have these things that I have to do. That's an excellent point. Yeah, I think one of the big, uh, I did a blog post on this a couple years ago, so I felt like I had a little bit more preparation, which is why I volunteered as tribute. Um, one of the big things when I interviewed a lot of designers, specifically RPG designers, about what do you want from playtesters was the answer, we want them to want the game to succeed. Right, so you wanna sit down and say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna love the fuck out of this game, <laughs> even if it sucks, even if it's a little bit broken. Maybe not if it's a little offensive, but like for the most part, sit down and really want it to succeed. Do not sit down to try to break someone's game. 
That's mean. It has no good intention behind it. Arrive with really good intentions. I have to say, I think that um, board gate designers are maybe a little, uh, what is it, a masochistic? <laughs> Bloodthirsty? Yeah. Break my game, break it. <laughs> um, we often will use like shorthand comments like that where we'll say, you know, like, we want you to come and find a problem with this. Um, I don't necessarily think that's the right thing for designers to do. That should be like some internal clock that they're watching. Um, but I agree, you shouldn't be there to. Um, try to find things that are so that's I guess that's a like a fine line to, to it is. march on because yes you are there to check if there are problems but ultimately you shouldn't be there to try to find the fun out of the game too that has just as much uh, that's just as good a feedback for a designer as things that are wrong well I think things that are wrong are still important like you're still going to look at the game and be like so I don't know what I'm doing here Right, in role-playing games, if you're like, okay, I want to go do a thing, but there's nothing for me to do. There's no mechanic here for me to roll. Then clearly there's a hole, right? You're not going to go in and be like, I'm going to see how many ways I can roll these dice that will fuck with this system until this game collapses. That's the difference. Yeah, and it's sort of like if you start, um, if a play test or a prototype is a whole, pe a whole pie, really the game's just going to be one slice of that pie. Yeah. So just finding the things that are fun. Like oftentimes designers, this is the case with board games, I don't know about LARPing and, and role playing as much, but when you have too much and you really have to just cut back, yeah. that's that's a very typical problem. So it's okay to be like, hey, I think this is your game as opposed to all of these other things. If I can expand upon that, I like my analogies. You guys gotta be kids at a playground. You're there to run around. Every now and then you might trip and skin your knee because you came across something that was bad and just be like, ow, that hurt, okay. Can we keep playing? Great. You're not bloodhounds. You're not here to like, I want to sniff out everything that's wrong with your game. It's an attitude. It's an approach, right? So when we find wrong things, this is good, but we find wrong things because we're genuinely trying to go through the experience that the designer has in mind. And ultimately, that's what makes a good play tester. You communicate. You let them tell you what they're looking for. You play the game genuinely and honestly. And when you come across something, you're not being a dick about it. You're just like, hey, um, I actually, I was a little late coming here because I just got grabbed and pulled into a play test because they needed play tests for everybody. And like, hey, sit down. And um, the guy, I got sat down and I, I didn't have so much time. And, and I'm playing through the game. And at the end, I, I tell the designers, like, you have a really good concept here, but like, you want this game to be dynamic and move, but the game slows down just because you play everything out in your hands. You have to figure that out. Maybe have people draw more cards, maybe whatever it is that you have to do. There's a definitive thing that's counter to your goals that's happening. And I waited to tell him that when I had to leave. I genuinely played through his game as best I could and did as many things as I could and kept everything positive. And at the end, my feedback was also positive. It, played into the things that he was looking to do, not necessarily something that I felt was a design flaw because of how I perceived this game. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I was, if we're like, if, if you're making like bullet points of um, like goods and bads, and, and that would be a, a key thing that I think is really important um, as a play tester is that you should not feel compelled to give feedback like in the moment as soon as you have the, an impression of something. Um, oftentimes those ideas get flushed out uh, the further into a game you get. Um, and it's generally, like, this is just, playtesting is like about good manners. I don't know, like, I feel like that's so simple, but um, 
sometimes it's not. Uh, just wait until you're done with the game. Like, if you sit down to play a game, it's up to the designer if they're looking for a whole game or just a couple rounds of the game, and they should be telling you that right at the beginning. Like, they should set that expectation so you know what you're getting yourself into. But you should try to reserve feedback for the end, unless, and generally a good designer is going to be able to spot if there are really big problems or gaps in the middle, and they will pause and adjust and give like immediate adjusting like things to the game, do something, but otherwise, like have a notebook. It is totally okay to take notes, um, and just sort of like, so you're not tainting someone else's impression or ideas, um, to just volunteer that information in the middle of a playtest is generally not, um, um, like great for a lot of designers. So Nick, can you want to expand upon with that, Kate? Yeah, I actually have in my notes, like take notes like crazy. <laughs> like, like I have a notebook that goes with me everywhere. I take notes. And then at the end, um, I'm part of the Gauntlet podcast, if people are familiar with it. And one of the things we do in our games are what we call stars and wishes because we like it better than roses and thorns because it's kind of like fuzzier and nicer. <laughs> uh, but stars are things that really stood out for you in the game and wishes are things you wish happened but didn't. So it's a very gentle, like kind way to talk about some things that fell down for you. You don't have to be super loving and nice. It's just my own like methodology. I really prefer it. Um, and because people are so nervous when they run playtests, being kind to them can also help them chill out. Um, but I find stars and wishes or roses and thorns. Roses are things that you really like and thorns are things that made you bleed a little, but not in like the fun LARP way in a like, oh, that didn't work for me kind of way. Um, those, those tools can be really, really helpful when you've come to the end. Like you don't need to give your feedback in the middle of the game unless it is fundamentally impossible for you to continue going forward. Um, at least for role playing games, a lot of times you can be like, okay, well like just roll something and keep going. Right. Or you can just be like, don't worry about it. You do the thing and keep going. Um, at the end, take note of where that kind of broke for you and why. And if it corrected itself later in the game, because some people explain their game as they're going, some people will dump a bunch of rules at you at the beginning. You're like, okay, cool. Um, make note if it corrected itself and how it did so that you can say, I had an issue here, but you explained it later. You might want to consider that going forward to explain that a little bit more succinctly here. Great. Uh, that's a good button to move on to now the more specific areas of playtesting. I'm going to hand it right, right on over to Kate. I, know that I just had to talk. But um, being that your area is RPGs, um, just what are some of the things to keep in mind when we're being specifically RPG tabletop testers? When you're trying out a role-playing game, uh, I think one of the things to focus on is the game itself, not all of the bits. Like I find when I'm playing a board game, I get really into all the bits because those kind of really matter. Whereas in a role-playing game, when I was playtesting my game last year, the like most feedback I got was, you know, the character sheet's not laid out very nice. I'm like, I'm not a layout artist. I don't care. <laughs> this is not my problem. There's a person who will do this for me, right? And I started opening every one of my sessions with, I don't care about the character sheet, okay? Uh, and pay attention when they say that, because honestly, if I'm gonna say, I don't care about the character sheet, I'm gonna run a two-hour session for you of my game, and at the end you're like, you know, I really loved it all, but like, I had a hard time figuring out what I was supposed to do in this character sheet. I'd be like, cool, thanks bud, that's helpful. Uh, really do listen to them, and don't get caught up too much on layout and design, but if you do, ask if they want that feedback. 
because some of them might not. Most of them will end up hiring a designer or a layout artist who does that professionally. People here oftentimes use PowerPoint to throw a character sheet together, right? It is not a professional layout thing. What they want you to be looking at usually are mechanics and tone, and if you're getting the emotional feedback or story feedback that they are trying to present to you. So if I'm gonna run my game of Crossroads and you're going to tell me, you know, I didn't feel marginalized at all in this game because it's a, about being carnival performers. You should feel kind of othered. I'm like, oh, okay, so obviously the mechanics aren't working or I'm not pushing it hard enough as a GM and I need to take note of that. That's useful feedback to me. Telling me, like, the art sucks. Okay, cool. Right, so really pay attention to the game itself. Ask questions like crazy. Be continually asking, okay, well, am I supposed to be doing this? Like, if you are lost, ask a question, but be kind and honest with it. Don't be, what the fuck am I doing? Right, like, just... Just really be compassionate in those in those questions and you can focus on the mechanics but also try to focus on how you're feeling in the game because most role-playing games are trying to invoke something in you whether it's you're a badass hero and you're gonna stomp through this OSR mod and kill everything do you feel like a badass hero or do you get bogged down or if you're playing like something very story game and you have every index card on the table do you understand what's happening with these index cards or are you a little bit lost because they're not laid out in a way that makes sense? Right, so just like really pay attention and do check-ins with how you're feeling about the game because a lot of time role-playing games are trying to make you feel something. And if you're not feeling a thing, maybe ask the designer what you're supposed to be feeling. What are they trying to make you feel? And tell them honestly, didn't get there. Or, hey, did, super cool. How about board games? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, yes, I think a lot of that uh, feedback is actually totally crossover with um, board gaming as well, especially as it comes to graphic design layout. Um, moments when that's, so I guess it's important to understand, we didn't really talk, does everybody understand what like the difference between alpha, beta, um, blind playtesting is? Like, is you, you have a question? I've heard those terms, but I'm not sure what always is meant by them. Okay, awesome. So, like an alpha playtest is an initial concept. It could be written down with a pen and pencil on paper. Um, it's generally supposed to be very rough. Um, a beta has been iterated on several times. It doesn't mean an alpha that hasn't. A blind playtest is a playtest where um, the designer is either present but not participating or not present at all. And I don't know if there are other um, uh, focus groups. Okay. So focus group. Sorry. Focus groups are where you're just sitting down to talk. This person might be like, I have an idea. Let's just talk about it for two hours and see what we can come up with. Sometimes it's play jamming, which is where you design and play at the same time, which is really cool if you ever get a chance to do one of those. They're so good. Um, but focus groups. Um, I did one last year for a game where uh, people. I didn't know how to make Twitter a mechanic because I really wanted to. And people were like, oh, yeah, well, let's just talk about it for a couple hours. And we came out with something cool. So that's a playtest focus uh, uh, focus group. Don't uh, go into those thinking you're going to play a game. You're just going to talk. Yeah. Um, so with that in mind, uh, that's where this sort of like level of graphic uh, design and layout appreciation can come into play. If you're blind playtesting, for example, uh, in a board game, yes, that would be a little more relevant feedback-wise, but in an alpha or beta, it probably is not. Um, I want to reiterate on uh, diversity in playtesters. So one thing Metatopia does really well is um, 
They ask you for things that you like. They ask you to get, everybody had to take that survey, correct? Where you have to give, you have to ask, like how much do I like fantasy and sci-fi, right? All those things. That's super relevant and important because that can help you be directed to things that you will actually enjoy playing and can like handle the nitty gritty of, now I'm gonna look at shapes and numbers on a piece of paper, but I can imagine this is a spaceship and I'm going <laughs> So many uh, numbers. <laughs> so that helps you like suspend disbelief. Uh, but trying things, like it's your comfort level is for you to decide that Metatopia does that really well. Not all playtesting arenas do that. Um, so you have to know yourself. But for me, when I'm designing and I have people sitting in front of me, something that's really great is for somebody to be like, I really prefer heavy gaming. And with that context, this is how I feel about this game. Or I really prefer casual gaming with that context. This is how I feel about this game. That diversity lets designers hone in on where their actual target audience is. They might have an idea, but that's really valuable feedback uh, on the tabletop side. Um, so that's sort of what I mean when I'm circling back to uh, my initial statement about like you don't have to feel like you need to compensate in some way. Who you are and what you like playing is valuable. That is super important. Yeah? I was gonna, along with that, like, is it helpful to the, the designer to know what the your strengths are as a play tester? Like, I'm crap at understanding rules designs and, and like just grasping them, as, even after I've played through them. But as a playtester, I feel like that's a strength. Mm -hmm. Like, hi, I can be your person that will not understand the rules. <laughs> <laughs> That yes, um, and then like so that circles back to being able to ask clarifying questions is always great, and that is generally when uh, designers will be taking notes when people are asking those clarifying questions. So uh, you can clarify that in the beginning. I don't know that it's necessary um, from a board gaming perspective. I don't know about uh, role playing or RB or uh, LARPing. For LARPing's a completely a different beast, <laughs> okay. uh, but Just be excluded, that, yeah, you from all conversations. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'll get LARPers. to that when it's it's my turn to listen to myself talk. But the it's there's value in what you're saying, but let that be something that comes out naturally as opposed to something you're offering. So, if you're asking those first three questions and they tell you, "I want to see how accessible this game is to people that are not very rule savvy," then like. You found me. I am here for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so, so it's not necessarily something you should feel like you have to preface every time you come to a playtest. I, I, you know, it's better to just let the experience happen. Um, that's good for the designer, whether they're nervous or not, um, taking that into consideration. But that, that's part, games are experiences, right? Board games are experiences, role-playing, LARPing, it's all an experience. So let that be what playtesting is, too. There's no reason it shouldn't be. Uh, and then a big thing, and this is, uh, there is, are definitely arguments on both sides, but this is the side that I fall into. So Jamie Stegmaier says often that you should be providing problems, not solutions. Many people agree with him, uh, and I'm one of those people. Uh, Playtesters not, should not feel like you have the responsibility to be providing solutions to a designer. That's the designer's job. Uh, so you shouldn't feel compelled to not give feedback because you don't have the answer 
Like you, you it's important for you to say where you feel like you have a rough time, um, but you shouldn't hold back from saying that because you're like, well, I don't have a, like that's actually contradictory to like politeness, right? Where you're like, don't provide a problem if you don't have a solution. This is different than that. Um, sometimes designers are looking for that, and I guess that comes back to what a designer is looking for in the beginning when they preface their playtests. But for the most part, not your job, so don't worry about it. It's okay to provide constructive criticism both ways uh, without having answers. And if you do feel the compulsion to be like, I think your game reminds me of Vampire and you should go read more Vampire, uh, don't. Just because they know about Vampire, I promise. Um, but in those moments, you can ask. Like, if you have a great idea, because honestly, you're going to have great ideas, just ask. Like, hey, I have a thought about how this could be different. Are you okay if I share that? Consent is fantastic. Let's all just practice it. Okay? Awesome. Tell me yeah. about LARPs. Yeah, I will tell you guys about LARPs. I'll tell you about LARPs all day, every day. So playtesting LARPs is a, a bit of a different animal than uh, with an RPG or a board game because there's a component in LARPs that is not found in those other things, which is that you as a person and how you deal with face-to-face -face with other people is much more relevant. It's slightly relevant for RPGs, obviously, because you're around the table. Um, for board games, uh, obviously, you have to talk to people. But the entire experience of a LARP is predicated by the people participating. So when you are approaching and playtesting a new system or a new LARP, uh, you have to be very clear and communicate off the bat with the designer about yourself as well as the experience that they're trying to be. So my very first thing that I, I like to ask when playtesting other LARPs is, what's the target audience for this LARP so that I can adjust my approach? Because there's a big difference if I'm doing something with, with a Nordic LARP or a rules-heavy LARP. So a Nordic LARP, for those who don't know, is a rules-like, the rules for this LARP could be contained in a paragraph. It's, like, it's literally kids playing pretend. We just have a very specific theme that we're going after. We're in a very specific situation. And maybe the, the designer just wants to see how well that plays out once you add the random factor of all of you. Um, a rules-heavy LARP will be very crunchy, It'll be a lot closer to when we're playtesting a board game or an RPG where now you have to like, aside from all of the experience of actually interacting with other people, have to keep in your mind, it's like, well, how easy is it for me to understand the skills to tell me that I can stab the guy with the thing and he stabs me with the thing and then I call my thing, which is so many points and like, I'm already saying a lot of things and this is, oh my God. So like, that might be something that they're looking for. Uh, and if you know that off the bat, before you actually start to like play through their game, it's very uh, helpful for everyone involved. Um, also, there are different kinds of LARP right there. So is this a parlor LARP, which is meant to be more of um, role play heavy, more of the experience of what I'm doing, therefore the thing that you want to see from me as a play tester is what kind of creative things can I say and do within this world that you're creating, not so much something with like a combat LARP where now you're seeing is like, do the skills, are they uh, intuitive? Um, is the things that I'm calling out hard to say? Like, uh, if for me to use this magic power according to this rule, you say that I have to say this specific phrase, but I keep tripping up on it every single time and I'm reading it off of the page. And you're expecting somebody to memorize this within their first event? Um, is it meant for a small player base? 
uh, often with uh, tabletop RPGs and with board games, um, there's only so many people you can fit around a table. Uh, most our tabletop RPGs, if you're getting more than eight players around the table, it starts to get unruly. Yeah, like usually you're dealing with a, a group of like three to six people at most. And with board games, uh, I've noticed that like uh, especially with the co-op games, they're usually around. Um, two to five players or three to six you, you're it's very rare when you're seeing a board game that caps out beyond that usually it's like a card game maybe especially stuff like cards against humanity where it's a big social game and everybody can be around LARPs is a different animal uh, with a LARP there are LARPs out there that are hundreds and hundreds of people wide so if you are entering a situation where they're playing this thing and saying hey I'm in, I know that we're in Metatopia and I can only get a room of about 30 people, but I have grand aspirations and this is meant to be a design where hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people play. And the kind of skills and things and, and problems that you can find in a mass LARP are vastly different than in a micro LARP. And therefore, when you're playtesting it, you've got to be like, I'm having trouble envisioning what this would be when there's 10 more of me in here because we don't have those people in there, but you're saying that's what you're looking for. So keeping that in mind when you're talking to a designer is very important. Um, and the last kind of like tit for tat um, with target audiences, is this going to be a single event or a recurring event LARP? Because there's certain things that'll fly at a single event. You can go bigger, you can go broader. It's all about just that specific singular experience and talking about it. Whereas there are things that you might do on there that on a campaign LARP, which is meant to go month to month or week to week or, or even several days in a row, could be problematic. You know, it's, it's one thing if like there's big flashy like cool skills that you're using that kill a whole bunch of people because everybody's playing into that in a single day event. It's like, oh, I died? Great. The party's tonight. We're going to be drinking beer after this. This is great. Uh, but that approach is not going to work if you're supposed to be players that are coming back month to month and playing that game. Uh, the second thing, and it's actually the more important thing out of the other two, is play tester know thyself. We always keep coming back to this, communication. Make sure you're, you're telling people what's going on. It is doubly important in a LARP that you communicate your physical and emotional limitations to the designer. You have to tell him, hey, I'm not good with bending over. I've got a back injury. Uh, or I'm not good with dealing with body horror in your werewolf game. I, 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 something that I cannot do. That doesn't mean that like the designer should cut those things out of the game. That means that the designer needs to have contingencies if they expect people to play their game that might have these situations. So feel free to ask them, hey, do you have contingencies for these specific limitations that I have? Um, I'll use my own LARP as an example. Like, I, I tried to be very inclusive. We were a younger LARP, so I had the, you know, the, the uh, ability to like, look back on all these years of mistakes that are happening. And one of the things is that LARPs have this reputation that they're not accessible to people with disabilities. Because people always think, unless you're a parlor LARP in which everybody is around, if you're like combat LARPs where you're out in camps and doing these things, you're not very accessible to somebody who might need a cane or is in a wheelchair or something. And I went to people with disabilities and I was like, you know what, this is a stigma that's part of this game. And I, as a game designer, want to make sure that I can have things in my game so that you can still participate. And spoke to people with disabilities and got feedback from them and put systems in place. So now when you come to my LARP, first of all, we try to book accessible camps. Whenever there's a physical challenge in place, I have every single one of my staff also write in alternative ways that, that 
problem can be approached that not, does not necessarily have to be physical, and then give the players the option, not force them to, give them the option of saying, hey, you can either jump across this thing, or you can use any of these skills that you have, or roll this dice, and then we'll say that that's the outcome. And that way that player can still participate and engage in your LARP and be part of the community without necessarily having to actually do something that they cannot physically do or emotionally be able to handle. Um, and then also uh, communicate the preferences of style and play to the playtester so that they are aware of what kind of roles they can hand you while they're trying to look for a certain thing. So if they, um, for example, say, um, you know, my game, I haven't really dealt with a lot of PvP situations, and I really want to see what happens when somebody takes this game of mine and starts to straight out be a dick. So, could you please be my dick? <laughs> and actually approach that situation, be like, I want to see how well our community guidelines and the things that we've set apart here can handle a situation where somebody's intentionally trying to be a disruptive player. Um, but let them tell you that that's what they're going to. Don't just assume and jump in and do that thing. Or the other side of the coin, I want to see how accessible this LARP is to someone that's never LARPed, ever. They don't even know what LARP is. Their friends dragged them here and they told them, yo, just pack extra socks and show up. <laughs> Which can happen. So, so how do you approach it? How can your game be friendly to someone that has no clue? And if you're that person who's never LARPed and have no clue, and you tell the designer, I've never LARPed before, I'm just here because I thought it'd be cool, and um, I'm game, what do you need from me? And they're like, that's awesome. Uh, here's some things. Are any of these things confusing to you? Are any of these terms so alien that I can't explain them clearly to you? How, how well does that approach? And those are the kind of things that you'll, you'll be dealing with in terms of uh, LARPing. Some of the number stuff that we get in terms of RPGs, uh, some of the, the things that'll happen. Uh, we even get the character sheet thing. I actually, I don't design the character sheets either. My wife does. And she gets very, very, like, oh, all haughty when people are like, what What do you mean? This I worked on this so hard. And somebody was like, yeah, I don't like your character sheet. And I was like, well, that's great, buddy. But we're here to see if, like, you think the skill is cool or if, you know, like, being wearing goggles because we're a steampunk game is too restrictive and then therefore is something that like we shouldn't require and stuff like that. Anything you guys want to add with any of the things that I said there? Oh, there were a couple actually. The oh, yeah, uh, the part where you were talking about making your games accessible. When the inevitable day comes, you become a game designer. Uh, do that, right? When you go into your playtests, make sure they're not offensive. Like if you see gross stuff in these playtests, gently tell that person. Because it happens. Role-playing yeah. games are notorious for it. I've seen a few board games where I'm like, oh my. Um, right, and we're at a point in gaming where people are making legitimate efforts to make games more inclusive, more diverse, uh, more representative of everybody in the community, not just our people in power. Um, so it is partly your responsibility. It's all of our responsibilities as playtesters, as designers, as community organizers to be the people who are like, so I understand this game is about this. Did you understand the implications of X, Y, Z? Uh, because a lot of people, especially for role-playing games, once we're in that space, we can't see outside of it. We're so into that game that when you step outside, you're like, oh, oh no, no, I didn't. <laughs> like I designed a game last year and uh, I designed one of the characters you can play very specifically with something else in mind. And all year I've received feedback that this playbook specifically reminds queer and gay men of coming out and facing discrimination against that. 
Now, as a queer woman, that was not my experience coming out, and I have never been discriminated against for being queer because I'm super privileged that way. But to have a bunch of men come out to me and being like, this reminds me of this big trauma I've experienced. I was like, oh, excuse me, I need to go do some research and, re and reevaluate what I wrote. It's great. I'm glad it helped people and whatever, but that was a privilege I had that I didn't see there. And it was having people playtest my game that let me see that. So do that. Like if you're experiencing something and it's, it's offensive or marginalizing or in some way hitting you in a way where you're like, oh, I don't know. They need to know that. That's really important, and it's great that you get to do that work because we are so in it that we can't see it sometimes. Okay? No, yeah, absolutely. That's totally, um, doesn't matter where you are in games, that's relevant. Yeah. Um, we're going to take the next uh, 25 minutes or so and open it up to any questions. If anybody has any questions that they'd like to ask any of the panelists or all three of us for anything specific. Please don't be shy. It's okay. There you go. First, uh, first one. This is going to be an easy one. I just have a terrible memory. Can you go over those three questions to ask at the beginning? Absolutely. The golden three. Everybody get their pens out. You ready for this? You're going to see so smart when you sit down and you're like, yeah, this thing. All right. Number one. At what point in development is your game? At what stage? So you can either just ask it like that and leave it and let them tell you how they're perceiving it or if you want to sound super fancy, you need like, is this a focus group? Is this an alpha test? Is this a beta test? Um, are, are you pre-launch? Are you ready to go pretty soon? The second question is, is there anything specific that you'd like for us to focus on during this play test? So let them tell you exactly what it is that they want you to be looking at and or fiddling with, breaking with, telling them the experience with, telling them how you feel about, blah. And the last one is, are there any issues with the game that you are already aware of and working on that you'd like us to ignore? I don't want you telling me about the character sheet. I already know that I put the character sheet together in Microsoft Paint. Don't bother me about it. I want to focus on this stuff. Tell me how does this class feel to you? Tell me how does this skill tree feel for you? Like, is this something that excites you? Is it something that you want to get into and start crunching some numbers? Tell me about this board game. Is like, are there too many pieces? Is it too fiddly? Tell me if, if these mechanics are clear and distinct. That kind of stuff. Very good question. Yes? Hey, uh, you mentioned uh, during, I guess specifically for the uh, LARP uh, feedback, like, you were trying to say, trying to think about what their target audience is, like if it's supposed to be, and try and like uh, translate what your experience would be like on like a larger scale or on uh, a scale with uh, different people or something. And mm -hmm. uh, yes, I don't. Um, as a person who doesn't have any art experience, uh, how would you? What kind of what kind of feedback should you give if you don't have that other experience to kind of try and uh, graft whatever experience you do have during the playtest onto? Does that make sense? Yeah. So. If I'm understanding what you're saying, so to your, at a LARP playtest, um, and one of the things that you can look at is, is like, is this meant for an audience of bigger or smaller LARPs, but I have no LARP experience, then the best feedback you can give is say, I have no LARP experience. Because uh, unfortunately, there are just certain things that you need that kind of background. Uh, lacking background has value. So I'm not saying that because you haven't, you shouldn't playtest LARPs. On the contrary, 
you are just better suited to providing feedback from an approach of, I have never LARPed, how does this feel, how is this? Yeah, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, LARPs have that L in the very beginning, which is live. So it's about getting people to play this game. So it's important that you tell them how you feel about their game and how you feel playing in the game and how things play out as you're there. Attempting to give feedback on something that you've never had any personal experience for, it's not going to work. Anybody? I don't want to be the only one talking. You guys got anything to say on that? Yes. Sweet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Go ahead. I mean, my first experience with LARPing was through the movie Role Model. So. I got a story about that. <laughs> <laughs> I actually played Lair for 20 some years. <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, so just don't, don't try to provide an experience with something that you have no basis off of, but um, still give feedback for the things because they, as a designer, it's their job to kind of glean from the feedback that you're giving. So if it's meant to be a huge game for a lot of people, but there's a lot of problems with people have no LARP experience understanding what it is, you're never going to expand your game to be a large audience if it can't include new LARPers. Any other questions? Yes, sir. I mean, sort of along those same lines, do you have any thoughts on like being, you know, we have sort of like the RPG, the board game, the LARP silos. They're not really silos, but you know, we've got mm -hmm. those sort of three pillars. Is there value from like someone who's experienced in one bringing, bringing their feedback to one of the other silos? Do you guys have anything to, to say about that or think about that? Yes, there's so much value in that. Um, like when I sit down to play a board game, partly I'm like, I want emotions because I like role playing games. But yeah. every time I play tested a board game, I'm the first person to get so easily confused by like crunchy mechanics that when I sit down at a board game, I'm usually the one who's like, okay, but what? Um, so I tend to be able to see when things don't make linear sense or if what the board game's trying to sell me as a story doesn't necessarily work mechanically. That's not always the most valuable feedback if they're looking specifically for like crunchy mechanic feedback. But most board games are trying to tell some sort of story. They have a holding space of like, when you're in pandemic, you're playing these people who are going to go save the world. And I feel like a hero when I play that game. Fuck yeah, you do. Mm -hmm. Right? I love pandemic. It's my jam. It's like a sport in my house. I literally call that game Everybody Loses. Oh, we're never going to play. Um, no, I love it. But everybody no. loses. You don't I like can't that handle game. it. Pandemic uh, Legacy it broke me. <laughs> Um, I love that, but it makes me lose so often. Yeah. Uh, you're doing it wrong. Um, so yeah, there's value in everybody, like where you go from game to game. So going to a LARP as a role player, uh, everything you do will have an aspect of your core pillar, for sure. Some people can gracefully move between all the pillars with beautiful, effervescent knowledge. I'm not one of them. Every time I go to something, I'm like, oh, I want to talk about the feelings. Um, but... That has value too. Yeah, feelings have values in LARP. They have values in board games. Mechanics have values in LARPs and board games and role-playing games. All of them have core things that they share, and your opinion is always important. Always. Yeah, and I'll add to that that, um, especially in board games right now, um, this idea that board games should be an experience and should tell a story is so important in the industry that the experiences that people who play games that tell stories uh, are bringing is very valuable. Um, in the same way that I hope 
that when I go to play a role-playing game or a LARP, and I'm like, I need some structure, and I need to feel strong and supported with rules, um, I hope that that's somewhat important um, into that in that freeform experience that LARPing can often be or sometimes be. But as an example, like one of the most popular games uh, in Essen or to to release this year is the is Holding On from Hub Games, um, and it's about a person dying. It's about everybody experiencing the final moments of a person's life, and it's a cooperative game and. Everybody has said wonderful things about that. I'm sure it would not exist if there weren't people um, telling the designer they need to have these experiences, that experiences are valuable, and risks like that are important in design. And ultimately, I mean, um, regardless of where you personally feel your strengths lie, you, a person at that table and or room, have value. And that's something we reiterate. So. Um, how you approach a certain thing might be flavored by the things that you feel strongest about. So I am very rules number crunchy. I know that about myself. I sit down and play a game, and I'm already like, I'm like that meme where the, the lady's just looking at something and all the equations are just going over that. Like I feel that way when I approach something. But, and that might have some value to that play test. Uh, but as long as I'm there as a body, even if the game is not about crunching the numbers, uh, my just being there giving my feedback and experience can have value for the designer. So don't feel that you're just pigeonholing yourself into the things that you feel comfortable with. Do the things that you feel comfortable with just because you're okay experiencing them, not necessarily because it's one of your strengths. I also wanna add that every one of those types of uh, pillars, I love that you call them pillars, that makes me really happy. Um, I'm gonna ignore that part. <laughs> yeah, no, pillars was the second part, and it was beautiful. It makes me really happy because we do have a habit of siloing. Um, even in RPGs, we have OSR, we have tribe, we have indie, we have story, and that's bullshit, just to call it out for what it is. Um, and those communities can do so much better to support and love one another. But also, are, those are all skills. Like, playing a board game is a skill. Playing a LARP is a skill. Playing RPGs is a skill. And you're not going to improve those skills if you just sit around your pillar and don't go look at the other ones. So, do Truth. it. Get more skills. We like skills. Give you snaps. 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 You get snaps. <laughs> Any other questions? Oh, sweet. I uh, saw so you and then you. So you first, sir. Hi. Uh, I was wondering on your opinions on feedback forms, whether there are situations where written uh, feedback is more advantageous than a conversation or vice versa. Um, so if I'm understanding correctly, uh, are you saying our feedback, do we prefer feedback forms? Uh, there are situations or? where written feedback is better or worse? Oh, yeah, um, typically if you have uh, issues talking to people. <laughs> so, so if you're the kind of, you, like I said, know thyself. If you're the kind of person you get nervous talking to somebody or you don't want to hurt the designer's feelings by being blunt through words, but you're perfectly fine just being like, if I'm not here when he reads this, this is cool. As long as you're not intending to be mean and you're being frank and honest about what you're doing, then using a feedback form is just as well. Uh, also, in certain situations, so like, Let's say I'm trying to do that LARP for 5 million people. Uh, I don't have time to talk to each and every one of you, but I can hand you a stack of forms and go back and read those later and find value in the things that people are saying as long as they took it seriously. So from your perspective as a playtester, take the feedback form just as seriously as if you were actually talking to somebody's face. Don't use it as an opportunity to like be jokey or not be honest in terms of your feelings and uh, put through any feedback that you have. 
Yeah, we actually use uh, feedback forms for breakout whenever we run Adventurers League because that can be, GMs have a variety of experience when it comes to that. Um, and we want to make sure they're feeling supported, but also that they're following the rules. Um, but we use feedback forms for a lot of different things that break out as well. Like to win a raffle ticket, you have to fill out some positive reinforcement for your GM. Like we're very pro filling out those forms, but it also gives you a level of being anonymous. So you don't have to necessarily feel like the like the GM or the designer could come at you later for being a jerk. Um, like don't be a jerk. Obviously, I've, I've said that from the beginning, but if you don't feel safe, expressing what you're feeling an anonymous form will let you express that uh, without the fear of repercussion like if you're running a game for a well-known person and you're worried that they're gonna do something trashy well one don't play with them ever again but two like that is a safer way to provide feedback whenever I run games I provide like business cards or my email address and I'm like you can reach me here you can like find me on Facebook you can talk to me on Twitter I'm a very open person um, but if you want to have a conversation and you don't feel comfortable having it here, let's connect later and you can just email me. So feedback forms have a, a time and a place and I really do like them. Most people aren't thinking that far ahead though. As a designer, they're like trying to get all their shit ready for Metatopia and they're like, oh right, I have panels too, whoops. So you can bring your own though. Uh, I would say there's a really like clerical reason for uh, forms in board games is we want to get as many playtests as possible and if we have uh, friends or if you're a publisher you probably have a like a string or a group of people who are ambassadors who are taking the prototypes to conventions or local groups and in that case like if you're sitting in somebody in front of somebody who is not the designer it's probably not very valuable to give them feedback and then rely on telephone um, when you could be like, is there a form that I could use to fill out that will go directly? And that also applies to blind playtesting, which I mentioned before. Blind playtesting often will require written feedback because you will have specific inaccess to the designer. Neat. You, sir, had a question. Yeah, just, uh, I guess, a clarification between um, where, where the line is between asking for rules clarifications and a critique of some rules. You guys got some? I mean, I don't understand this rule versus I think this rule has problems. Like, if a rule exists, you can say, can you phrase that differently? Um, not it needs to or it ought to be phrased differently, but like I'm trying to play out a specific turn that requires me to use this rule and I need to, I'm not understanding the way it's written right now, I need you to re-explain it to me in a different way. That's different than saying, because I don't understand how this rule works right now, there is a problem with it. Uh, telling somebody, hey, um, this is how I understand this rule. Is this what you intended? It's a real fast way of doing that. It's like, I'm playing this card. I think this is how my turn's supposed to go. Is this how my turn's supposed to go? Because that's how I feel. And then let them clarify for you. Yeah, for role-playing games, when I'm playtesting, I will ask once. So I'll be like, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to be doing. That's usually how I phrase it. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Help me. <laughs> Help me. Uh, and they'll explain it, and if I don't get it the second time, I make a note of it and move on. And then I bring it up at the end as the criticism, right? So like, I had you explain it to me again. It still doesn't make sense. So maybe that's a point for you to consider in your game. 
Any other questions? Yes. So, so excited. You have experiences with having to bow out of games for either teams or just like the mechanics being a total mismatch? Uh, yes. <laughs> yep. I like Kate Starch. She's very passionate about this uh, one. <laughs> I've, I've had to bow out of games for like a variety of reasons from safety tools not being provided in a game that, oh God, needed it, to uh, things being really, really offensive, to um, sitting at a table with someone I just don't want to be there with anymore to hitting a game where it was including content that I would say was not told to me properly and I was halfway through and I was like, I cannot play this game. This is not a game for Kate. In uh, all of those times, I've been very honest about it. I've been like, so I would like to ask for a break and I'm gonna leave. It's not because you're a horrible person, it's just because I'm not feeling this game. Are you okay if I email you later about that experience? Right? I try not to dump on anybody. I don't talk, if you, something's triggered you, like if you're getting trauma out of this, do not traumatize other people with your trauma. Just don't. Um, but yeah, I've, I've checked out for a variety of reasons. I always try to be really gracious about it and say like, thank you for running this game for me, but I just can't be here right now. Um, I'll talk to you later about it if you're open to it. That's usually what I do. And if you are never comfortable talking about that experience, that's okay too. But if it's impinged on your safety, if it's hurt you in some way, or if it's um, if that person wasn't being supportive for you, because role-playing games can touch those issues a lot, um, let one of the admin here know, because like Metatopia is super focused on being safe and inclusive. So like, just try to make sure you do communicate that to somebody, and that you do get some self-care and support yourself. Jennifer, you have to. Uh, yes, absolutely. It's in board games too. Um, I suppose it could be more theme or like game functionality related than um, safety related for board games. But absolutely, I've had to do that, and it's totally okay. Oftentimes, I'll ask, I'll simply ask the designer if um, we can finish out the round, or I'll ask the table if the table minds finishing out the round. More likely than not, you're not the only one feeling that way, and you will get at least the majority willing to agree with you and sort of come to sort of a group decision on pausing or breaking. You're also a human being and entitled to everything human beings are entitled to. So maybe the thematics of the game might not be offensive, but the designer is offensive. <laughs> so you might get into a situation where they ask for feedback, you provide the feedback they asked for, and then they start being outright rude to you. Uh, what we asked is that it's playtesters because of the, the kind of the theme of Metatopia is like don't escalate by being rude back But you have everybody to buy us like oh obviously I've offended you or we're not seeing eye to eye on this so um, I'm just going to Just leave and if you'd like me to provide you further feedback I can email that thank you very much and just see yourself at the door uh, Ultimately we are here because we all love games we're here because we want to elevate the industry and we want to see cool up and coming games that are coming out and being a part of that process and like feeling the pride of like, hey man, I played that game where it was literally written on napkins using <laughs> pennies and tokens and like written markers for everything and now it's this blockbuster board game. That's so cool. Like that's what you're here for. You're not here to be made felt like you do not have value or that you should have to partake into something that you feel is way too offensive, either intentionally or unintentionally, or it's harmful in any way. Does that answer your question? Cool. Anybody else have any other? We only have five minutes. I know. So this is <laughs> last question in the back. All right. I'm not. How applicable this is for everyone else, but how 
I can definitely start this off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my, my wife is a wonderful play tester for me um, because she's really good at knowing when things are fun and she's really honest with me. And I will say that from a partner's perspective, like assuming all things positive, I probably get the most honest feedback from her. Not always the most critical, but when it comes to that sort of core, sort of core fun factor, she's always honest with me. And so there's a lot of value there. But yes, eventually the game has to leave the house. <laughs> On point. Um, yes, so, so long as you recognize that you might have some bias because the designer of the game is someone that you feel personally close to and you're able to you'll never be able to fully separate that bias but at least recognize that bias you can still provide feedback because you are a human with a brain who can tell people what that brain is thinking in one way or another um, what is really important at the end of the day is like I said communication honesty knowing yourself and knowing what sort of situations you can uh, give people. Yep. We're getting there like it's four minutes. And be kind. Uh, and be kind to everybody. Thank you very much. Uh, I'd like to thank, thank Kate, Kate Bullock, uh, who was really, really awesome, and Jennifer, whose last name I wrote down because I'm a Grand Mac. There we go. <laughs> who's Kate, by the way, Jennifer was literally shoved into this panel last minute, and we are so awesome. grateful that happened. No, thank you for having me. You were awesome. I loved everything came out of your mouth. Um, and uh, that's it. Thank you very much, guys. Enjoy Metacopia. Thank you. <laughs>